I've never known if he works for the CIA or not, Mrs Barker told Bernstein. The men would never tell the woman anything about that. Sturgis, an American soldier of fortune and the only non-Cuban among them, had been recruiting militant Cubans to demonstrate at the Democratic National Convention, according to several other persons. One Cuban leader told Bernstein that Sturgis and others, whom he described as former CIA types, intended to use paid provocateurs to fight anti-war demonstrators in the streets during the national political conventions. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to All the President's Minutes. I'm your host, Blake Howard. No podcast that I undertake is complete without the man who inspired one heat minute through a cantankerous bout of drinking and arguing. That man is a podcast host in his own right, is the last film man standing with the film, geek, uh, film site Geek of Oz in Australia, uh, is a co-host of a terrific podcast called The Cinephiles and is like a standing guest on every podcast production we've done, one heat minute, uh, last 12 minutes of the Mohicans even jumped on on the flicks.com.au podcast The Take and it just wouldn't be the same if he wasn't back for this one ladies and gentlemen it's my dear friend and great film mind and commentator Mr. Stu Coot. Pleasure to be here pleasure to be back. You're back. I'm not too happy I was I was happy to be back for the last 12 minutes of the Mohicans <laughs> now I feel you're back on the precipice of uh, overlooking the abyss ready to dive in once again so yeah but- I love what you found about yourself and about others for with our One Heat Minute, so I'm very excited to see what you come up with with this deep dive. Yeah, look, it's um, it's a completely different film, and the reason I love it, and, and this is sort of the, the logline of the entire show, it's that All the President's Men is the nexus of history, of cinema, of politics, and of journalism. And it's it, it kind of is a culmination of all of these different forces uh, to be made. It's an important event, and... You know, now in 2020, it's really prescient. And it literally wasn't. You know, we're, we had a barbecue together recording, I think, around episode 60-ish of One Heat Minute. And I remember we were standing outside on my balcony at the time at a place I was living. And we've said a couple of times in productions, you're like, it was the fourth house that we did this show. But yeah. one of, I think it might have been the second house where we did that show. And you said to me, like, you're like, oh, this is, um, you, know, you know, this is a show. It's really working. What, did you, what would you want to do next? And I said, I want to do all the President's Minutes. And at the time, it was Stu and Garth and Luke, Mr. Luke Buckmaster and Rose Powell, who've all been on the show. And at the time, they were like, oh, you wouldn't want to do, you wouldn't want to go straight into something else. And I said, no, this is one that, this is gnawing at me, this movie. There is something so special about it um, on so many different levels. And I just, I think it's, it's one of those movies that I feel like once you've identified a movie like Heat, that literally stands up to minute by minute, second by second scrutiny. When other movies come along and they can do that, they leap out at you like in a way that is insanely, insanely powerful. And I think this has more to say. He'd had a lot to say about personalities and the characters. Uh, I think this has more to say about society and where we are now. Even even if it, what are we, how old is it now? 40 odd? Yeah, so 1976 it was released. There you go. So... And now we're coming up, we're in the middle of, I mean, I don't want to have a drinking game how many times <laughs> he who should not be named Mr. D. Trump um, getting mentioned on this show because so many people are going to do deep dives because like you say, we are witnessing and every, every generation thinks they are witnessing that time in history. Yes. But I think we're seeing things now where sort of 
journalistic integrity has been under fire for about the last, what, five or six years of people questioning. Yes. People are apathetic nowadays about what even the truth is. We have this whole concept of like, and I think this is something that's only going to get worse. And you're going to like track it as as your episodes go, this idea of that we are so apathetic about the truth. Yes. And how quickly we dismiss things as just, oh, fake news. Anything you don't like is fake. And there is so much misinformation and the fact that we're sort of cool with it as a society at the moment, just going, oh, I don't really need, I don't need a source. And I don't, I definitely don't need two sources, sort of like old school journalism. And sometimes I, I don't need four. Four. I don't need, <laughs> or I don't even need my one. Like in this, it's like we're in this weird stage now where there's, I think you're going to be in the, an interesting position to sort of analyze this film, the, the climate in which it was made and released, but also what's happening now. Like we're at the start of, you know, impeachment proceedings, which aren't going to even like, they won't go to, they won't go through to fruition. They won't because they've already, we know that, but we're we're recording this on the 4th of Jan 2020. So it's going to be interesting how we track this out. And something I was mindful of in one heat minute was to never really mention the date, but with this show, I'm going to mention it in every show. I think think it'll be important. It might throw your continuity out with episodes, (laughs) but it's just going to be a really unique viewpoint you have, which is through the prism of this film. And there's enough in this film to digest yes. before you put that layer um, of modern day. And it's interesting. I watched last night. Um, I'm doing sort of my blind spotting this year, 12 months, 12 directors, four films each trying to get through it for the year. Did Sunset Boulevard last night. Amazing. And I've annoyed that I couldn't, haven't got around to it before, but it was funny. You go, Oh, this could be, this could be like a social media star. Or an influencer. 100%. Like who's just gone off the boil, like I've lost those millions of people from YouTube and no one remembers. Like it could so easily be like um, modernised today. Yes. And same with this film, that this can very easily, you could see the events of this film playing out in a modern day scenario. And you, you're watching though, and the the great, you know, the context, the context that we're going to wrangle with in Australia versus in the United States is in Australia, there are crippling libel laws. So it, when you do come out, the it, it actually lands in the person who is being accused's lap um, to sort of legal fight you out of an accusation no yeah. matter how many sources you've got. But at the same time also, there's this strange dichotomy, which is that Richard Nixon who's the president of the United States and asked to do this nefarious stuff, which ultimately is just spy on my political opponents. And he has a whole infrastructure of people who we're going to start referencing and talking about and and, and, and in the very minute that we're encountering is them, their first legal appearance, who enacted the things, enacted the orders, despite the fact that they knew that they were acting illegally. They knew what they were doing was wrong. Um, what's funny is that in opposition, and I don't mean to sound funny because it's probably tragic at the same time as it's funny, there are public servants in the United States that are the only thing between a a hundred percent indictment of Donald Trump from the Mueller inquiries and, um, and nothing happening or just the leading to the impeachment because the summation points of the Mueller thing was that Trump asked people in his organization to do illegal things Mm. (laughs) knowingly. Yeah. And And they didn't do it. The safeguards more or less kicked in as they should, as they should, because we, for the most part, the machine, isn't like isn't meant to change too much from party to party who gets in like you shouldn't be able so, to enact huge things without any kind of scrutiny exactly and but the actual sort of the direction we travel and sort of think the the road still gets built and the glad handing still happens but then when some when you are going off to do something not only immoral but illegal <laughs> there are meant to be people going hang on 
Uh, we, we didn't do this with the uh, the last guy or the last girl. Like, why are we doing it now? It's it's just an odd time. And we're going to see – you're not only going to have stuff overseas in America, you're going to see our own leaders come under scrutiny here. Um, big time. You know, on a day like today where thoughts go out to all those who are affected by this – this catastrophic the, the, bushfires, bushfire which crisis. it's hard to sort of sit and talk and do normal life when this, not to be dramatic, but when there is so much carnage going on, it's unbelievable. It's finding. And you know, we were just talking about this before we started. There's emails already starting to come out now about these bushfires, like the, the level of sort of, um, you know, source material and the deep dive that can be done. Like how many freedom of information requests are getting put in now to <laughs> yeah. find out who knew what, when, when, and the timeline being laid out. And it's like this, and that's now odd, like the technology we have, this is going back to sort of following the literal paper trail, which is half the joy of this film. There's not, there's not, um, what we're going to see in later minutes, and it might be a minute that I even invite Stu back for, is when there's people talking about how happy people are when they're in a place and they're shredding documents. Yeah. And in the modern world... Yeah. That's, that's just deleting your email. That's, that's just it. deleting your email. Yeah. And if you're on a server and there's any kind of IT crowd, that's not really deleted. No, 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 no. It can be found. <laughs> yeah, going incognito is not usually... <laughs> it's not It's not as easy. But look, um, there is so much to talk about with this film and um, my guest is great at saying, I want to get up, I want to get up, you know. The I, nooks and crannies. The nooks That's and where crannies. I want to look. He wants to live in the nooks and crannies. And so I think it's really important that we get into the nooks and crannies the minute that we're talking about. We are at the ninth minute of Alan J. Bakula's 1976 film, All the President's Minutes. You guys know how to play this game. Stu and I have played it once or twice before. So we're going to watch. You guys are going to have a listen along and then we're going to come back and talk about it. I'll work the phone. Policy. Yeah, you work the phone. Who cares? What about properties? Uh, sorry, who are the lawyers? Excuse me, I'm sorry. Who are the lawyers for the five men arrested at Watergate? Do you know? Well, these two were assigned to it. Sorry? These two were appointed to the case. Only now it turns out the burglars have their own counsel. Burglars have their own counsel? That's right. It's kind of unusual, wouldn't you say? For burglars, it's unusual. You know the name of the uh, council? I don't know. Some country club type. You are charged with soliciting prostitution at 14 and East Street, Stone Plus. And you get Dan and Gary solicit one Harry Wixon. Your Honor, Mr. Socket has in the past been reliable for court preparing appearances when ordered. I think $300 would be excessive. Excuse me, what is your name? I'm Bob Woodward of the Washington Post. Markham. Arkham. There it is. I always think about the newsroom in this reminds me of Superman. Yeah, big time. Like it feels like a hustle bustle and probably because I saw Superman first growing up. <laughs> yes. It always just like it has and maybe it's that level of authenticity then in Superman that I like. It That felt like an actual old school newsroom right. with like the types going in the background and all the hustle and bustle. And the well, one thing that is probably one of the standouts of this film, maybe of this era is the level of like attention to detail with like extras and background players that we sort of like, even in this scene where we've, we've finished them in just the, the gentleman sitting in the top left of screen, just like chilling out, maybe waiting for a friend to have his 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 matter come up and yeah, mentioned there there is like, there is one thing to be said and it's probably something that people will get sick of me saying but 
background actors and extras, if they do a bad job, it makes for a really shit movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. if they do a good job, they literally become part of the texture of the scene. Like it's essential for what you're watching when they're there doing their thing. And in this movie, it's so critically important because there are so many times when the guys are in the grind, in the process, in the the toil of the day-to-day grind of journalism, yeah. and there are people behind them watching TVs, asking each other questions, shooting the shit, bumming a cigarette, reading a book, getting a phone number, and, asking for a source's information. And even here in this minute of just the other people waiting around out the front of the courthouse. Yes. Like just milling around. Milling around. Like the, the, they're there the for other, what? The other 20, representatives. 25, 25 <laughs> seconds on screen, but the level of authenticity it gives it. I always go back to, um, you know, the Don turning up when he's a young child in Godfather 2. Yes. When he's turning up, is it, um, where do they turn up? Is it, where do they come in at Jersey? Was it not Stanton Island or where was, where was? Oh where, yeah, Ellis, Ellis Island. Island. Ellis yeah. Island. And you think of like that size and the look of like that as sort of your customs area. Yes. And there would be nothing short of 7,000 pieces of luggage. There's people there that <laughs> yes. there's probably four or 500 extras just standing there to bring it to life. And that is like this film, those films dripping with life and movement and texture and form. And it's not, if this was made now, this is a cast of, probably 12 speaking roles and characters are just amalgamated into different parts and said, well, this person, you know, there's one burglar now and this person represents <laughs> the lives of the five burglars and this, this person, it's only a TV series would be granted the, the time and the, and the, and the stones to, to, to go as deep as this does. Well, I just, yeah, that, and I just don't think people use like the scope like they used to, like no. even in, I noticed like people, uh, it's unavoidable to talk about this without like Spielberg's po- The Post. Yes. And I've got time for The Post. Like it's fine. There's there's some rousing moments, but for the most part, it's kind of on the nose. It's a love letter. It's too much of a love letter to this. Yeah. And is neither it's its own thing or this. Like it doesn't have the authenticity of something like this, but it has some rousing moments like this does when it's got some real. I was just reminded actually by a guest um, a few moments ago that people would be listening to a few episodes ago, Mel Matheson, who said, I've, she said, she reminded me that Forrest Gump actually made the call about Watergate. Yeah. Cause yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in the, it's in the, um, the Forrest Gump cinematic universe. And so Tom, the FGCU. Tom, to, 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 the FGC, F-U-C, F-U Forrest, F-U-F-C-U. Um, but it's Tom Hanks in that. And, and, and the post almost, are operating on the same levels of hyper sentimentality. Yeah, um, and and the, the masters of Zemeckis and Spielberg, Zemeckis like, and yeah. Spielberg, and so. But if you look at Spielberg's recent stuff, when you talk about Bridge of Spies, Lincoln, those I feel are like vastly more successful in their pursuits of balancing, especially Bridge of Spies. Bridge of Spies is unbelievable, yeah. but um, both very very good films. But The Post is one that has come up and will come up and continue to come up as we compare, but it's really, really difficult for me to watch the post after this because there's something that's like, people are going to think it might be strange if the word I use, but there's like, there's this naked sort of forthright way that this is put together, the way that people are costumed, the way that this people are smoking, the way that people are, 
suited. It's there's just something that is just saying we want to be so dripping with authenticity. We want movie magic. We want Woodward to look like Robert Redford. We want Bernstein to be Dustin Hoffman, the two want two of the biggest actors in the world. We want it to look bit and be atmospheric and tonal and have movie magic. But it's also so much of it is just it is it is painting a very real picture of what this was like at the time and the proximity with which it was made to when they actually produced it, when the events happened to when they produced it, are so close that they can they don't have to go far to replicate everything. No, because it's there and it's worn. It's it's <laughs> not like doing the Mad Men version. Yes, where people are getting out and researching, going, well, what would be there? Well, they're going, this is the chair that's there because <laughs> you can walk down the street and see it. It's in <laughs> yeah. But I, I I love. I mean, in this minute is just it's why you have this era of Robert Redford. Oh, and the thing that he has kept. You know, for better or worse throughout his entire career is that disarming nature. Like you look at him, like everyone says, that he, he, whether or not he's a great actor, he's a phenomenal movie star. Oh, yeah. He's like Clooney. He, he, he knows. Ex- Every, everyone, everyone after Robert Redford that's a movie star is battling with him. Yeah, trying to do – and he's – and, you know, he got – I think he worked out – at a much younger younger age, what he was and who he was and how he was doing it. People talk about Clooney. Clooney was used to be quite big and then he wound it back just a few degrees and it's like, whoa, this guy, like he could just take it back, just dial it back a little dial bit and realise it's all going to be on the eyes. Like like going back to Heat, like with the De Niro's and Pacino's new, it's in and they're at their best when they're doing it mostly with the face in the close-up, not doing – the big body work that you would expect, like the f- the physicality that you'd expect to see on stage. Like I don't think, I don't think um, Redford would necessarily rip it up on stage. But no. he's not why we go to the movie. Like he's a guy that we go to the movies for. And when you see him coming in this, and just the way he talks, he just the way he just sort of innocently, but he's not naive the way he approaches people, and he's earnest on screen in everything he does. You believe him instantly. You trust him. Yeah, and I also. Watching this, you get that sense like I can't help it because I know we both love Spy Game. And when he's teaching Brad Pitt how to disarm people and he's like, you know, in that he's like doing the espionage thing saying, you know, most times all you need is a pack of cigarettes and a stick of gum to get through most situations. Brad Pitt's like, oh, that's unfortunate. But you sort of see that quality here of the guy that just sidles up. He goes, excuse me, I just want to... Yeah, he's just polite and he's like, oh, what's going on? And then he's already planting the right questions like saying, oh, burglars you know, already had their attorneys. Isn't that weird? Like, and it's all also doing that sort of journalist throughout this film where they're just sort of asking, they're putting the proposition to people going, huh, does that, does that sound right to you? Does and that, that sound, and, it's and that, that instantly gets your audience, whoever you're talking to is intrigued and goes, no, it doesn't sound, yeah, what's wrong? Yeah. because And then automatically we're getting the, the tips of the conspiracy off just the smallest little, Tells it's yes. like watching someone's poker game. You're going, huh? Like you did this, you know? It'd be wait, 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 wait. You're betting all in, yeah, on the flop, yeah. <laughs> huh. Huh. huh? Really? That's interesting. But there's and there's something about throughout this That's pocket aces. <laughs> if you don't mind me saying, <laughs> I don't want to accuse anyone this early in the match. But there's something that just oozes from him. Throughout, and you know, I can't remember a time when you know Redford has ever gone big necessarily on like he's never he's known his 
like there's the great book like if you read any of William Goldman's books it's like um, I would um, would we be talking about William Goldman on this podcast like, you betcha his books like uh behind silver screen like cuz he's written so many like adaptations and movies for Redford yes but his take on him was just he knew what he was and for better or worse didn't move out of that groove but that groove is so good and when it when don't the, move out of it and when, but when the film needs it like you need like we, you know, you always like talk about like movies that would be fun if like I do, I do it with um Scorsese Silence. Yes. Like if Adam Driver and Garfield had a swapped roles, the result would have been maybe maybe better, maybe worse. But it would it's a it's an interesting what it's if. A, it's a great what if. I don't see it in this. I is, like doing it with the mission. Yeah, yeah. With mission going. Imagine what Liam Neeson. Like a young Liam Neeson flipped into the De Niro role. Yeah, 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 yeah. Be a fun one. It's a, like, but this I don't need it in it. It's one of those films no, you where you're like, because it. it's exactly what you need. You need like a good guy throughout. Not that, um, not that um, Dustin Hoffman is playing a bad guy, but he's playing. He's the, a bit of a dirtbag. He's the sleazy he? guy. He's the he's he's the guy that will punch the window to break the lock. Where Woodward won't do that. Like no. Woodward will just wait there till someone comes. Like that's that's their dynamic, and it works in the film. But because uh, because you, you you hit on something that's perfectly synthesized in this minute is that and and it starts in the minute that just immediately precedes you. Jack Warden plays Harry Rosenfeld. He's sitting at his desk. He's discussing with another editor about throwing one of his guys in the metro down to check out the burglary of the Watergate. Mm. And he he suggests Woodward immediately gives him a buzz, sends him down there. And see, that phone call that he receives is like this when he gets the call in Spy... Like, it's yeah. a little callback in Spy Game when he's like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm jogging. <laughs> like, when he's just working <laughs> up at home. Um, the, that's a great little moment. And then Bernstein and Hoffman, so great as Bernstein, is then the weasel who overhears the conversation that he shouldn't have overheard and then comes in. Yeah, and, and then and sticks his beak in. <laughs> sticks his beak right. in and goes, oh, hey, I can, I can go down at the yeah. courthouse. I've got some contacts down there, Harry. And he's like, where's, where's that, that story yeah. in the Virginia legislature? I'm polishing it. Yeah. You know, like, and, and then he has to go out. He's that guy. It's, the old, it's the old acting lie of like, do you know how to ride a horse? Ride a horse? Got to saddle in my car. <laughs> like, hopefully you never get called on it. <laughs> Have you ever ridden a motorbike? Ridden a motorbike? <laughs> All my <Please>. life. <laughs> They don't call me death-defying <laughs> stew for a reason. <laughs> but this minute begins so beautifully, and, and and he's so unassuming. But what I want to get to, I want to pivot just slightly because we get Harry Rosenfeld, Bernstein, they're the beginning minute. And then the disarming moment, exactly as you said, he sets the table. I really like that phrase. Some comedians use it when they talk about it with a joke. Like you set the table yeah. before you hit the punchline. And the setting the table moment in this, and it sort of folds into the next um, few minutes. The set the table moment is this beautiful thing where he comes in and he goes in front of that crew of lawyers who are all just nattering to one another. And he sort of does that great charm of like bustling in, but without bustling, going, excuse me, can you just tell me what the story is? And they go, oh, these guys are assigned. And then has that natural inquisition. And this movie continues the great thing of having the characters ask the questions that you, the audience are asking yourselves. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's, continually scratching that that little thing, that little It's itch. William Goldman understanding audience intuition. Yeah. And just like reinforcing this is a good thing to ask. But also if you bring it in, your audience wasn't if they weren't thinking about it before, they're thinking about, about it, it now. now. Yes. And you never get too far ahead of the characters, yes. which is exactly where you want them to be. You're exactly where you want to be for this. So it's that beautiful thing. And then the great thing is, he started up and I was looking for it at the beginning of the episode. 
Um, the the actor's name is Nicholas Costa, uh, and he plays Markham, who just introduces himself before the close yeah. of the minute. There is a wonderful half second where Redford sits back immediately behind him and he looks him up and down. He mm. just takes him in. Yeah. What suit's he wearing? Yeah, it's, it's a, a little too well cut for being, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon. It's, Saturday, at some, it's a Saturday morning. Yep, at some little, like, out there sort of magistrate's court that it's we a, would have over here. It's a local yeah. magistrate's court. Yeah. And that's the thing as well, that, that, some, that it helps his look in such an innocuous court. Yeah. It could be anyone. There's, you know, the he peddlers, would already He would already look assaults. out of place. He yeah. would look out of yeah. place in that court. Yeah. His suit's too good. Behind him is a lounging, casual African-American guy who's wearing like a black turtleneck. And he, he's been in like he is either being there to bail out someone for the umpteenth time <laughs> yes. or is seeing, you know, his brother or a friend or someone who's run afoul of the law. Yes. And he's like, that like, oh, I'm, I'm so at ease with where I am. I've, I've done this before. Whereas Markham doesn't want to get his feet dirty being there. Like he put Mark- a napkin down to sit down when he gets there. <laughs> that, and that look up and down, the Redford look up and down before he leans in and does his due diligence to introduce himself and who he is, I think that that makes almost the entire scene for me coming up because what it tells you is Everything in this movie, and it's Pacula as a phenomenal visual filmmaker. Um, he's one on, one on the blind spot list. Mm. We must catch up on everything that he's ever done. Um, there's a couple of blind spots that I've got. But everything that he's doing is telling you, and Redford as the producer of the film too, is telling you, why am I pausing to look at this guy? This guy is wrong. And yeah, whether you're, and doing, it, whether it you're is- doing it explicitly or implicitly, this guy is wrong. There is something weird about this. And you look at all the other suits, like you identify a suit. Look at the other lawyers. They're wearing wearing business attire. Like Woodward's in his like like his uniform basically, like yes. professional uniform. This guy's in the pa- baby like the powder blue <laughs> baby powder blue suit. Baby powder blue. <laughs> Looks like he's gone to a bad a bad formal. A bad nineteen seventies uh, high school formal. We're just gonna um, while we're while we're vamping here, Stuart and I are gonna watch this. The thing is, the, the thing that's interesting as well is the way, like the way they even from when Woodward's talking to him, but trying to get his name, that's his tone for nearly the entire film, and it's sort of like that's what we want of the press. We don't want people yelling. We just want people asking especially not important questions. Especially not to their sources. No. And they're not they're not yelling at people, but even as they're making just general inquiries. Like now this guy's tie. It is this not. guy's tie is something out of I think I have a like a fake Gucci shirt that looks exactly yeah, like that I guy's think, tie. Yeah, I think it, my partner has a like <laughs> a a beach uh like a sarong sort of thing that's out of the same material. And and Woodward's in the corduroy suit. It's it, his tie is off center. Yeah, you can see his buttons. Um, like this is like a second before the close of this. The, is a sharp three piece number that he's rocking. Sharp with it. three piece number. His hair is parted. Um, his shirt is pressed and it is crisp white. He has a pocket square. There is barely a crease on his suit until he's made to turn around. And there's this moment where standard things are happening in the courtroom. We see the judge take a swig of like a cup of tea or something, and then there's a moment. And I love here Redford's 
It, and the power dynamic is, do you sidle up next to him? And sitting behind him, it makes it feel, I don't know, there's something about it that's like, it's just, it's very passive. It's not threatening. You're not but, standing in front. It's just, it, hello. It's also an interesting power play because like, I'm giving you your distance. Yes. But you've also got to turn, like you have to do the work if you want to talk to <laughs> yes. me. Like, cause you, and you will quickly get on someone's nerves. If someone doesn't want to talk to you, they'll quickly make it known because they're sick of turning around and hence why he eventually he moves <laughs> seats and it's a nice, and then you know, You've got them. Yes. Because if you sit now next to someone, they've got a reason to be like uncomfortable. Yeah. If you stand behind, you're like, I wasn't doing anything. I'm just sitting back letting you, <laughs> you I'm, I'm you're le- dictating the terms. I'm letting you dictate these terms. But it even is beautiful like that. The hands kept low. Like it's nothing by Woodward. It's, it's a very relaxed he, pose. He's not, he hasn't got his notepad out just yet. No, it's just, just very. Hey, what are you doing? Hey, can, excuse me. Can you tell me what the lawyers? Yeah. Sorry, what's your name? Yeah. And how quickly you would be to go, oh, my name, yeah, it's the, like, because there'd be nothing to, like, he's not going in there waving any credentials. He doesn't have, like, pre- he doesn't have back. an old hat with press <laughs> written on the piece of paper going, what a scoop. <laughs> like, you know, it's, which is great. It's, it's so understated because at the time they're going down to cover. What seems to be an innocuous bullshit thing. Yeah, it's a burglary. So what? Like, what? That's not breaking in has happened. Like there'd be robberies and things that happen daily in Sydney that no one, you don't think of. Yes. And you just cover it. And then until you start just pulling at those little threads that then become bigger and bigger and bigger, does anything unfold? But you wouldn't expect anything at this stage to be unfolding. It's exactly like where it should be. Yes. And like sort of like we found in heat with the police always catching up, journalism and this is it sort of stands in for the pseudo detective yes because they are the event is happening and they're running up after the fact well the actual book all the president's men on the front cover it says the most devastating political detective story of the 20th century because ultimately journalists as uh, taking this position this lead are the heroes of the story but they have got a lot of detection work to do oh and that's what it feels like though as well yeah. like it, it feels like they are the stand in for any cop in the, and they are have a sort of this, a good cop, bad cop this dynamic as well. President is good. He's good. <laughs> is this guy something? Is this guy? You know what he's looking at? <laughs> looking at us on the Washington Post. <laughs> oh, it only took thirty minutes. <laughs> but no, it is. I mean, and we had the the distinct pleasure. You've probably mentioned already. We caught it. Only, I haven't. I was waiting. Weeks. I was waiting yeah, to talk to you. We about. would have caught about what a, six weeks ago. It was six just before ago. Christmas. We just caught it as Christmas. part of the event. Cinemas do their cult classics. They're doing them again next year. Uh, this year, uh, starting February, I think. Night of the Hunter um, is their, oh, is their first. Night of the Hunter. Yeah, is I their think first. second second of February. It's not the lineup isn't as spicy as last year's, but just it's a reminder for everyone. Like keep an eye on your cinema chain. Keep and an your eye local on repertory like, theaters. Yeah, keep an eye on your Monday, Tuesday night screens, and you like because things like the Orpheum in Sydney or the Ritz in uh, Orpheum and Cremorne, the Ritz over at Ranwick, uh, event cinemas on a, a George Street are putting on these screenings, and they're actually pretty cheap for us. I think they're like seven or eight bucks or something. Yeah, and ticket. you know, there's forty people in the crowd. They're good nights. Yeah, like, you we, know? Had a, we had a good. We we saw. Um, the amazing John Ford's The Searchers. Yeah. And we saw all the President's Men and it was 
our first, your first time watching it. No, Gar- no, no, no. Garth, 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 Garth Franklin, who will yeah. be on the show. It was his, his first. first. Yeah, I'd, I'd seen it a couple of times, but this was the first on the big screen as well. And I such a good. And we were having a, ch- we were having a chuckle. We were into it. We were like that was a, that was a fun screening, and, and there was a lot of people around us who were having a lot of fun. And they're the joys of those screenings that everyone has seen it, and everybody just knows that you're allowed to have an extra chuckle here, or you're allowed to take a moment in other places. And this is. Like, you know, not only does it hold up to the scrutiny of the minute-by-minute sort of look, it also holds up to the scrutiny still of that big screen. Yeah. Because there's nothing really ageing it. No. There's no technology. I mean, apart from, like, telephones and notepads, but even that doesn't – it's not as bad as a 90s mobile. And me leaning over to you a hundred times going, God, I want to smoke again. Yeah. (laughs) Just just, (laughs) – it is the word, like, I think – just want to smoke so bad. I find, like, it's this movie or watching The Wire. The (laughs) Wire – like, if you watch 50 hours of The Wire, I'm like, (laughs) I want a smoke and a beer with McNulty. (laughs) Can someone please give me a cigarette? It would only have been improved if a haze, a thick haze uh, i like the outside of australia right now yeah just to come into the cinema <laughs> like maybe they could do it with some dry ice or something just to make give that effect but it you know it's a beautiful thing to go revisit like i mm. it's not it, it's i mean it's it's got some interesting pacing the way mm. it sort of it ducks a bit in times and sort of feels like it meanders for a bit when they're losing the trail then it comes back and it's sort of tonally it's not it's not consistent, but that's fine because the investigation isn't consistent. The investi- their investigation works. goes through the trials and tribulations. I think that is the that's a real tell, and we're going to get to that in these moments that we examine together. It's like the the Pacula Goldman script directorial acting pacing of it is so purposeful and deliberate when you get to moments where the investigation is floundering, and and there are even moments, and that's the. A movie is so self-aware. A, a movie that is self-aware without being glib is is hard. It's hard to do to get the right tone. But this movie does it on a number of occasions. And like one of the the, the, the defining moments for me is like Bradley when in the moment of a floundering investigation, they're not really getting anywhere. And Bradley's like, "Where's the goddamn story? Yeah, like what are we doing? What is going on? Like that's <laughs> again a stand-in for the audience, yes. and the audience go." Where Where's is this going? going? What are we like? What am I giving you my time for? Mm-hmm. And I, I had an interesting conversation um, recently with my my mum. She went and saw Knives Out. Yes, and she's like hated it. I hated it with every wow. like every fiber of my my being because she loves Agatha Christie. She loves sort of like the all the Poirot. She loves all those sort of like, and she just goes, "This guy thinks he's so clever and keeps winking at the audience." just make your movie. And I was like, oh, it's really interesting because that's the chief criticism of his work. He is so bright and he's putting in all these things. And he's and he's toying with the story function because he's so aware of things. And he's so self-aware of the tropes and he knows when he's going into a trope, but he thinks he's artfully going out of them in a clever way. To, and it's for us film nerds who go, yeah, I see what he did there. It's really good. <laughs> but it was like, the same, it was just interesting that she had that reaction without knowing who it is. She does not embroiled in any of the Ryan wait, Johnson wait, wait. controversy. She doesn't have a full Red Dragon back tattoo no, of no, The Last no. Jedi. Yeah, she's got the crate, battle, <laughs> battle of crate down her. So it's very tasteful. Like the detail is, uh, the crew in Bondi did it. <laughs> but she actually loves The Last Jedi and I don't think she ever put the two together. But it's no. just interesting how someone, and he is, plays with those tropes so tightly. Mm. 
and that can burn an audience, which I think he. But in he, his be, in his best work, like and and I would all go back and 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 I think more experienced filmmakers hate when you say this, but there's something so raw and wonderful about his brick that oh, I think sure. has never been. I don't know if it's ever been captured at the same at the same frequency in that it is this amazing Marlowe Maltese Falcon Chinatown noir story ish. Yeah. Um, well, but, it, but again, the, the, it's almost on the nose the way we know why people are talking yeah, the way the, they're talking, but the, it's, the, the, it's the in a reality that doesn't, the, will never exist, the, but that's the fun as well. The, like, la- the language is the only thing that is the wink. Yeah. The emotion. Yeah. And the, and the stakes and the stakes yeah. are also real. So yeah. it's like one of those things. It's like if you can overcome the language, the rest of brick emerges. But yeah, I, t- I can totally see someone and, having the impatience. And that's I can, something that Goldman would never no, do. No, and I can see how that is sort of being too self-aware about your audience. Whereas this does it in the way of your character, your characters taking control. Like we say, Woodward asking questions, yeah. sowing the seed. Why would the burglars do that? Why do they? Well, how would they even know? How do they know unless they know uh, ahead of time they're going to do it? Right. Oh, so but it, we're but already in twenty twenty. I think it's a good thing to talk about because there are going to be some folk who might be listening who just a aren't as familiar with the movie and b haven't sort of put the contrast of history together. So if you if you get pinched by someone something, you could get a blast out on your mobile very quickly to a lawyer or to something like you know we're we're pinched. Get word to something like this. But in these days, if they're pinched in that room. How do they contact the outside world? Yeah. And like, that's a great the, – these are some of these elements of that time passing I love. I'm like, well, that that's a real underscore for, for, for Redford because it's like you can't – if the cops pinch you there, you don't get a phone call. No one knows you're in that courtroom. Yeah. No one. And Unless, especially like at a high-profile place. Yes. Like that you just happened to go to and you had a lawyer already ready to go. And then he sees a guy who's so far out of place – why? Like, they're just things that aren't already adding up of the picture. Yes. Because how many times would he have been down there as the beat reporter a lot. and gone down and just – because he had to watch some – e or like we have out here, Some you see the poor reporters come down to court and you go, oh, what are you here for? And they're like, oh, so-and-so, this E-grade celebrity got caught drink driving. And you go, really? That's a story? And they go, yeah, it is. Like that, like, and then they have, like, you feel hey, so. Hey, 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 daddy's got to eat. Yeah, exactly. Like someone's got to, like, no one's going to remember. And not only do we have to write it up, we also have to chase them down the street to try and get a photo of them for something that's going to die on the vine <laughs> now, like th- 35 minutes later when it gets pushed down the social media feed. Yes. At least here there was something, some tangible work being done. Like there was actually, it's one thing I always love about these films is when you see, like, the printer yes. putting, like, you know, putting the lettering, getting the lettering right. Well, it's so. This is my pitch after this podcast. From now on, I think you and I need to do any film reviews we do need to be typed on yeah, typewriters. Yeah, and we get the red and, pen and, <laughs> and, and lose it <laughs> and hand and hand them out at events in yeah, like just, a homeless man. Yeah, just, <laughs> yeah, just can you read it? Take my review. <laughs> can, can you? I mean, I've had, I've got an opinion on. Yeah, I, d- <laughs> I just want it, but I only want it if someone hands it back and like pours a red line through like the first <laughs> paragraph. Like, yeah, I wasn't married to that anyway. But no. This is, uh, I think this is going to be a, a great project for you to, to, to find some things. I think there's, I think there's going to be a lot more perspective you get now about sort of the side of journalism and asking questions, which you can then probably apply back to criticism. Absolutely. I think, I think this is, 
this is where you we now probably more than ever are doing the deep dive in terms of well what studio made the decision to do this yes why is it like not and i'm not even going near the whole release the snyder cut mumbo jumbo but just like this idea of like... No, because we need to go to Vero, yeah, which is like, a fucking yeah, social media site. And Zack Snyder's like, I have the cut. But it's like... They this, won't release it. This this concept... He needs like, a theatre like the New Beverly, like Tarantino. Yeah. Because well, no, Tarantino doesn't ask to screen the prints that he's screening. They're from his private collection. Exactly. But if, like, have you listened to Tarantino on the Rewatchables? You bet your sweet ass I have. Well, he, how they talk about like... Back when they were making certain films, like back in the day, there was like two outlets mm-hmm. and there was no need for like further information about something, about a film or about – but now there are like so many outlets and you have to have something, a little taste for all of them and now there's no – Let me – in the words of The Godfather Part 2, which you mentioned before, just let me wet my beak. <laughs> let me wet my beak. And that's – like maybe we, we, we're now asking so much more about all this art. Yes. And maybe it's not like, necessary. Well, not necessary, but maybe the answers aren't there. Like we're tackling these massive Goliath fandoms at the moment and they're so ravenous for information. You go, fuck, maybe there's not much like behind the curtain. So just you either chill out in the bliss and watch it or you go do the deep dive like these guys. And But, but I think one thing that I would say with Heat and on, on one um, – and Heaton – in one heat minute productions, you would hear the last twelve minutes from Mohicans, a, ni- a film from nineteen ninety two. Heat's ninety five. the The latest film that we've done is the twenty fourteen release, in- Inherent Vice. Um, even that has had time to ruminate and stew. I think all of Paul Thomas Anderson's work um, are just so much more savourable. They they literally are. They've got a vintage of about five years when yeah, you go back to a movie. They're like a good red. You put them down. Put them you down. put them down for ten years, and you go, and then come back and like go. The master now in twenty twenty compared to 2012, is a different and more robust proposition revisiting. Different beast. Different like, beast. And and so that's one of the reasons also why I think All the President's Men warranted this All the President's Minutes is because it is it is not only the film that encapsulates the grind that uncovered the shorthand for political malfeasance in Western culture, but it's a film that is, is so entertaining and so... Um, and treats its audience with respect for entertainment and also information that it like it's hung around and it endures and it rewards to now. Like it's almost 40 years old. But it was kept around as a warning. Yes. Like, oh, a war- sorry, like more than this, 40 years old. This is like a war film. Yes. Don't let this, this happen, happen again. again. And here we are. And that's why you're like getting it out again and going, no, we've done this. <laughs> We've done, we know how they do. <laughs> this is how they do. This is don't, how they do. Don't let like they just want to wet their beak. <laughs> they're wetting it again. But here's the thing: they're doing it like again. It's, it's locally, the wake, it's the wake up. Wake like up. this is this is what this is about. When you go back, and it's it's you know, there's so many things that this can be attributed to. Be it climate change, be it corruption, be it these things. We're going to have it with the so many different avenues now and this is the type of film and the reason it's still around is because of how big the event was but also how well it was executed yes and how well it was reported yeah 
and people did their fucking jobs really well. Yeah. You and I, what you you got me onto like um, I think Maria Lewis coined the phrase process porn. You I think talked to her many times. We love people on one hand, we love people who, who are, are good re- at their jobs. Really fucking good at their jobs. Yeah. And we get to watch them be yeah. good at their jobs. David Mamet. Just watch people who are good at their jobs. Man it. I'll watch another 120 minutes of this of people being good at their jobs. <laughs> and it's, again, it's so compelling. And it's there in that minute. It's on display. All the skills are on display. Well. It's great to be back. I suck. Fucking good to be back. <laughs> <laughs> Just when I thought I was out. <laughs> pull me back. Pull me back. Oh, look, it's an absolute pleasure to have you back. The good thing is, though, because you made all that money off one heat minute, we've done de-aging for this. So we're actually we're going to look. We're now eighteen. We're, we're only eighteen we're years old. 18, but for some reason, I've got a my fat current thirty four year old head. Yeah. yeah. Really- well, we didn't have that much money. <laughs> we could de-age our wrist. <laughs> that yeah. was about it. Like, I, I, oh, I it's think I can sliver yeah. it. <laughs> it's lovely. Maybe get it. It's it's basically glorified just for men yeah. <laughs> in the hair. It works. <laughs> it works. Um, mate, it's always a pleasure. You'll be yeah, back. I'm happy to come back. Let's get uh let's let's dig in there. Let's get underneath it all. <laughs> like the Washington Post coverage of Watergate, this podcast is a result of a collaborative effort. Once again, a huge thank you to our ongoing narrator, Holly McBride, who's narrated all of our episodes so far. Thank you so much, Holly. Stu Coop, my guest this week. Thank you so much, Stu. You've been an amazing guest to One Heat Minute Productions all through our existence and such a huge supporter. Thank you, my friend. If you want to listen to Stu, you go to the Cinephiles podcast. It is a terrific podcast. I've been on myself where he and his two dear mates, Josh and Liam, confess their cinematic sins. A huge recommend from me there. Follow Stu on Twitter, at Stu underscore watches. He gives good and smarmy Twitter. Thank you so much again for listening to all the President's Minutes and anything on the One Heat Minute Productions feed. I'm your host, Blake Howard, and producer of Increment Vice, as well as everything that's been happening on the One Heat Minute Productions feed. If you want to follow me, simply go to at OneBlakeMinute on Instagram and on Twitter, or to OneHeatMinute.com to find out everything that's happening with the show and about the show. If you guys want to support us, we have a link on OneHeatMinute.com to our Patreon. If you can spare even a couple of bucks a month, the cost of a coffee a month you are going to be contributing to this show, the amazing Increment Vice, and any other amazing shows that are a part of One Heat Minute Productions. Thank you so much in advance. If you can't support us, you don't have the cash, that's totally fine. But please subscribe, rate, review, and share the shows. We would love, if you are digging the show, share them with like-minded film folk around the place. Thank you so much once again for listening to this episode. We'll catch you on another episode of All the President's Minutes and another episode in the One Heat Minute Productions feed very soon.